0: You're listening to Cards to the Moon, a podcast about trading cards from both a collector and investor perspective. We hope you'll stick around for the ride as we take a deep dive into the state of the hobby, share some hot takes, hopefully, some useful advice and fun stories along the way. Hey guys, welcome back to Cards to the Moon. This is episode 178. My name is Clark fivecardguys.com and you can also find my Instagram at fivecardguys with me as usual is young of integrity sports cards John's away this week but he should be back for our next episode all right off the top I want to talk about the third highest public sale of a sports card which is of course the 1914 Baltimore News pre-rookie card of Babe Ruth and I believe it was graded an SGC3 Okay, and it's sold for, this is crazy, seven point two million dollars. Wow! So, um, yeah, I just want to get your thoughts of um, what you think of the sale. And uh, I know there was someone was asking uh, Rick Propstein if he bought it, and he he um, said he did not. So we still don't know who the seven point two million dollar buyer is. But yeah,
1: big sale. Was uh, do you know any previous uh, sales on this card, or it? No, no previous history. I'm assuming that a SGC three has to be one of the higher graded out there.
0: I believe so. Yeah. Okay. It looked just, rough
1: though. It looked rough. It, yeah. It's pretty. I mean, it is. It is a hundred plus years old, so it's <laughs> right. kind of expected. But they they ain't get no PSA tens on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a healthy sale, regardless. I think, mm-hmm. um, like uh, it being the third time or third uh, highest sale of all time of any sports cards yeah and it was a matter of time before a ruth card you know was going to reach that level because you have and maybe this is a good uh uh, point is you know cards necessarily don't um have direct correlation to being the best for instance like Mm. if you think mickey mantle is the most uh i guess the the highest card sale ever but I wouldn't categorize Mickey Mantle as the best ever player. Do you know what I mean, player. But the card yes. becomes iconic. The demand sure. becomes iconic. So, um, you know, sometimes we use that as you know hobby True. logic as well. So this is a good example of you know someone like Babe Ruth uh, who is now in the big uh, the big era of of these card sales. So. Yeah. He's
0: on the, definitely on the Mount Rushmore of sports card sales now yes. at this point. <laughs> well, you know, like I remember us I talking about the first, well, I guess it's the Mickey Mantle, the number one sale was 12.6, I believe, but we're talking about what the next eight figure card would be. Right. And if this was sold two, three years ago, it definitely would have For sure. pushed 10 million. So, I mean, and at the same time, though, like people who play in this market, it's. It, Doesn't matter what the economy is like, right? Right. And so,
1: and I think it's it's also uh, notable that um, you know this is long term investments. Like this is where portfolio type cards are, you know, being mm. built. And sometimes we we commingle this type of hobby. I wouldn't even call it a part of the hobby, right? It's at that point you're an art collector and. Yeah, and we sometimes kind of mingle the modern day of the way cards go with this is one in the same, you know, Mm -hmm. playing at this level, right? So this is the way I view card investment, Hmm. you know what I mean, as opposed to attaining a short flip because the volatile markets within kind of like the whole investment strategy of sports collecting, essentially. I get it. Yeah, Yeah,
0: good point. Good point. But if I'm going to bring it back to the hobby a little bit, you know, this is this is um, considered. Some people say it's a pre rookie card. Obviously, um, his rookie card diehards will say it was for the Boston Red Sox. The Baltimore News obviously pre existed, and so would you think that this would maintain or sustain its value because it is a pre rookie card? Is it not the equivalent of today's you know Topps Heritage Minor? league cards. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah, the yeah. top's Heritage rookie card is far more valuable.
1: Right. I think um, like vintage didn't have parallels though. You know what right. I mean? So it, it went on sheer like rarity mm-hmm. and collectability, I guess, yeah. you know. Um, And now we're just 100 years later facing that kind of like what that was worth you know, because not sure. many people, you know, held it for that long, or it may be in the trash and the, you know, 20 right years right. later, or whatever it may be. So yeah, it's, um, I think it's just different. You mm-hmm. know, it's Fair. just different. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. But regardless, very healthy sale, $7.2 million is a lot of money. And uh, yeah, well, whenever this comes up, in terms of high-end sales, it definitely makes news. Let, so. let
1: me ask you a question, Clark. If you sure. had unlimited budget, like you didn't have a budget, like this was more <laughs> of an art, would right. you be in this game of like collect- collectibles? I think so. Yeah, right? Like yeah, you see it as a, a valid investment.
0: Yeah, it's it's cool to have. It's And like you said, I, I definitely see it more as art work, right. you know, I um, as an Investment piece that yeah you know like i wouldn't be surprised if 10 20 years down the road is that southby auctions going right, for right. 15 20 million do you know right. what I right mean? yeah so it's it's one no, of those I things i would not be surprised but good question all right let's move on to hobby headlines okay so i was listening to the bill simmons podcast as i usually do for my regular sports podcast content and i was pleasantly surprised to hear michael rubin who, of course, is the CEO of Fanatics on the show. And he talked about a bunch of things, including almost 16 minutes just focused on the sports card industry. And I thought he said some pretty insightful things. And, you know, as a market leader in the hobby, whether you like it or not, what Fanatics says will have some impact on the overall state of the hobby. So, what I thought we could do, just like we did earlier this year when Michael Rubin talked about the hobby in Uh, an article we could discuss some of the key points he mentioned during this recent podcast and uh, we could talk about whether we agree with some of his points or disagree or just want to add our initial thoughts on what he thinks about where the hobby is right now all right so I pulled eight interesting quotes from Ruben let's see if we could get through them all and then yeah just kind of see what we think about it okay um number one he says quote I've never seen an industry with more passionate collectors that have been so underserved than this business. And to me, that just creates so much opportunity, end quote. And he goes on to say Fanatics only bought tops in January of 2022, which is crazy, right? But Mm -hmm. he adds, you know, while he thinks they've done a lot so far, he also thinks they haven't even got started yet. So, So, what are your thoughts?
1: I think, man... (laughs) Um, See, I side with Michael Rubin in a lot of things because I believe in his vision as a visionary and a lot of people, I guess, will disagree because they're the ones witnessing or being a part of kind of like the outcome of what he's doing. So they don't necessarily see it. In the larger scale that he sees all these moves and he's absolutely right i think we have been underserved like if, mm-hmm. if if you talk about the potential of what you know it could be that's what he's looking at but then our lens when we look in the micro lens it's all about how the hobby is going right now and all the lows and highs i guess within that is our reality within the hobby. We're not looking sure. at it from a CEO perspective. So yeah, I agree because I'm more in the boat of visionary long-term, where mm-hmm. is he going? What is he doing to kind of implement that?
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree as well. You know, like I, I feel like most collectors would agree with this because, you know, it's been the same for so long <laughs> and and we've almost taken it for granted that this is the way it's going to be. Until yeah. you start to see some changes and you're like, oh, yeah. wow, this is what it could be now.
1: But based on comments, I think there's a lot of a lot of haters. <laughs> there's definitely a fair <laughs> share of haters out there.
0: Fair enough. I, I But, you know, like I've been in the news business as a former journalist. I wonder if, you know, the, the criticism and the critiques are just usually louder than yeah. the ones who are cool with it. It's usually yeah. the case. It could be. Right? Yeah. I, I'm not saying there's no criticism out there. There certainly right. is. But yeah, I wonder. I wonder if their voices are just louder. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, next quote. When we looked at the business, we saw a business where you had sports properties and players giving their rights to Tops, Panini, Upper Deck. These companies were all selling cards to distributors, who then picked where the cards go. And they weren't selling to hobby shops. They weren't serving the breakers. They weren't serving the retailers directly. It made no sense. Like would Nike ever sell to a distributor to sell to Foot Locker or to sell to Foot Action, end quote.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I mean, with with the rise of e-commerce, like I said, you see it in other in- industries, in the rise of digital marketing in general. You could. It's not saying, like, you cut out dis- distrib- distributors in between. Um, it's just saying business models have changed, and those that don't adapt get crushed. Right. It's been proven in different marketplaces. So for me, it makes sense that he's not going to use a 20, 30 year old business model in his strategies. Why would he? He has different Mm -hmm. resources that he's able to kind of implement. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of how I see it Straightforward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like uh, on on top of that, you know, there are different players in the industry now. Like he mentioned breakers you know mm-hmm. breakers wasn't a huge huge thing you know when we were collecting as kids you know what i mean right, right. and so now you got to service them and and the old business model as you would say doesn't really work well for right. you know newer players in the game and yeah. then you know like the, the industry is going to continue to evolve and right. i think you got to be able to pivot you got to adjust like you're also saying and i think um you know fanatics seems to be in a position to be able to do that quickly and right. because they were also known as a kind of a digital marketplace for apparel and things like that. So they also have the expertise and experience. Right, for so, sure, good for them. Quote number three, he says, we need to collapse that like the whole business side of things, how it was kind of all um, separated and service the hobby shops directly, the breakers directly, the retailers directly. I think when we bought tops, they serviced 300 hobby shops. And I think today we service 800 hobby shops or something like that. They want to get product directly from us because they need that direct relationship, so they can get the allocation of what they need to build their business to best support their collectors, and we rather give them the margin. End quote. So, do you think, do you think the hobby shops are better positioned in terms of their business working with fanatics
1: directly than the distributors they might have other had a relationship with for years? 100. I think um, that's where the profit needs to go. Are the People And it's direct to uh, from the supplier. Right. And it's a relationship that I know fanatics wants to invest in and think about distribution, what what distribution means. It's at the end of the day, it's, you know, whether it's hobby shops, whether it's breakers, they're distributing the product to the end consumer in variable Mm -hmm. forms of business. Right. So for me, yeah, it it, it totally makes sense. Um, Like it goes back to kind of like that point number two of the whole business model, it's like then this sure. encourages now distributors or the so-called distributors to pivot their strategies to be a part of this whole equation because if um, Fanatics is able to, you know, grow the whole marketplace as a whole, that means there's just more opportunity out there for, you mm-hmm. know, maybe it's different and not the way that the old school had. And I think that's half the battle is a lot of people are holding on to old ways of doing things And expecting different results, which isn't going to happen. And realistically, the only way um, new changes can be made is through, um, you know, literally shaking the foundation and structure of the business model in order for now you or Michael Rubin in this case to uh, use his resources and tools to, you know, pull off his grand master plan (laughs) that he's, he's doing, which is I think is genius, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like the old distribution model really benefited a few, right? Like the ones that have gotten the allocations all the time. And I think, you know, those are the card stores or the hobby shops that have benefited for so long. They're the ones that need to really adjust. And, um, you know, like you're mentioning that um, as more, we hope more hobby shops open up, Fanatics, it's in their best interest to know where everything goes instead of relying on third-party distributors right for sure makes sense to me as well okay number four this is a big one he says everyone kept saying to me michael you need to get rid of redemptions and so it took me like you know a couple of weeks to figure out what a redemption is which is basically an iou There are so many redemptions out there that collectors were like maddened by this. So I went to, you know, baseball, which is our biggest business today. And I went to the head of the union, Tony Clark. And, you know, I went to our organization and said, we need to eliminate redemptions. And they're like, okay, explain to me how this works. What do you need to do? You need to have a much better relationship with athletes. To give you an example, when we launched Tops, you know, Chrome, this is a rough number. But like, you know, a year ago, we probably had 30,000 redemptions. This year, we have less than a thousand. We reduced it by 97%. That means when you buy cards today, you're not chasing us for cards, end quote.
1: I love it. I love love it because he's thinking like a CEO. He's thinking how a visionary thinks. And people are going to give him crap for not knowing what a redemption is. (laughs) But that's fine. It's like you don't have to be good within the marketplace you just have to understand the processes in order to manage it so that you could create the solutions to the problems that you know that the industry is having and that's what he is he's doing he goes direct to the sorts you know basically finds out how this whole redemption process works so that he could now implement and listen to the ideas that we've been complaining about and implement it into his own business and he does it really quick because he's a He's a visionary and a business person. So it's like, you you just look for the fastest and most efficient and sustainable solution, right? And once that's mm-hmm. done, you're moving on to the next, right? right? And then as you do that every single day, you're going to grow a brand that, you know, ultimately fixes all its, you know, holes.
0: Yep. Well, in fear of sounding like fanatic fanboys, I also, I also love it, love it. But um, I guess a a follow up question is: Are you surprised at how fast he dropped the number of redemptions? You know what I mean? Like ninety seven percent obviously is very significant, but going from thirty thousand to less than a thousand, if those numbers are right, right? Like I, I think that just proves,
1: yeah, one hundred percent. I just think that proves the lack of um responsibility on Topps's end and the way they managed it. And when, mm-hmm. like I said, going back to if, you, if if that was my company, I would have 100% done the same thing because it's costing me money. It's costing right. me customers. So it's like the faster I could cre- correct that problem. And he, he probably looked at it and laughed. And this is why he has those comments such as we've been under serviced as a whole industry is because he has a you know, first perspective view on it, and he's just addressing the issues that him as a strategist and a problem solver, you know, takes, right, so.
0: Yeah, and you know what also helps? He he seems to have good relationships with just, you know, athletes, owners, like he's in that space, and he mentioned in that quote that, you know, a big part of, eliminating those redemptions is to have those better relationships with athletes so that oh, they are I agree able with to that too, yeah sign
1: faster you know sign more
0: this is why he's party,
1: partying with like uh, all these athletes huh
0: the white party the <laughs> yeah. famous white party where <laughs> it's every superstar in uh, not just not just sports but in music and film
1: massive fanatics <laughs> right off bill <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. oh man okay um, I like this one too quote five. I'll just give you an example of like how entrepreneurial we were. Mike Mahan, who's the CEO of our collectibles business, he called me last December. He said, hey, I've got a great idea. Every time a baseball player takes the field for the first time, I want to put a debut patch for one game on their jersey. When they get off the field, I want to take that debut patch off and put it into a one of one card. I said, wow, that's an amazing idea. So, So what are we doing? He said, well, you know, I spoke to the Tops organization and they told me it will never, ever happen. There's no possibility. You think that the league's going to be okay with that? The player is going to be okay with that? But it makes complete sense. So I, I called Rob Manfred. I called Tony Clark that minute. I called Tony. I said, Tony, I got a great idea. I want to put a debut patch on the jersey for the first time. You know, a player plays their major league game. He said, that sounds like an amazing idea. You make the jerseys, go do it, and then I called Rob. Rob said the same thing. We launched that four months later.
1: How honestly? And and we. I'm telling you, I'm I'm. I haven't heard these questions or anything. I haven't even read the article to be honest, or the the, the podcast. But yeah. how could you not like this guy? This guy just gets the job done. Like right. it, it's simple as. But think of what he's built in in the past. He, he he's mm. he's built a multi billion dollar. You know, apparel line, right? Right. So it's like having that leverage. He's able to leverage basically what he's built with new deals, right? And this is what, you know, you have to be excited for someone like that that has the connections that understands macro thinking business, right? And literally solving the issues within that and people don't see it that's why it's like and I don't blame him because when we're just kind of focused on the the micro lens of the hobby we don't get to actually because I I wouldn't have dissected this looked into Mm. this if you hadn't brought it up because you know it's not something that I would like look into or even criticize right but like based on the points you're making it's like this guy's our hero that you know, we, we needed we needed someone like this to, to address these issues and make it better. Of course, that's a great idea. It's like yeah. the Tops tops was saying they couldn't do it. He did it in one phone call. Like Right.
0: Yeah. The, uh, you know what? This just goes to, sh- you know, prove something that I've already known. Like A lot of these legacy companies, a lot of these companies that have just an old school mentality, it's it's always a, no, we can't do it. It's always this right. automatic assumption. So that's why sometimes it's good to have new people come into the space. Uh, new, you know, the new newer people tend to have more ambition. And, and you know, that's what we're seeing here. So I, I love it. You know, and, you know, there's like the, you know, the positive benefits to that is, A, for us as content creators, how many episodes do we devote to talking about the MLB debut patch, right? right. And then, you know, like even as, the hobby in general, like in terms of bringing money in, he mentioned uh, on a side note, you know, he asked Bill, like, could you imagine if like Shohei had a MLB debut patch one of one? He's like, that would be worth millions right now. Right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And that's just millions of going millions of dollars coming into the hobby as well. Just, you know, just uh, like a business mindset that I love about um, what Michael Rubin is doing right now. Okay. Three more. Six. There were so many problems just in the manufacturing. We bought the biggest printer of trading cards because there were so many problems. You you were having misprinting of cards, delays. Like you should launch trading cards like you launch a video game launch or a shoe launch. Okay, so Nike says this Travis Scott shoe or this Jordan is launching on this day and that's an event. When we launch cards today, we have a Giant launch coming up on twelve twelve with Bowman Chrome and what's going to be Brady Day for us. And it's going to be insane. You'll see all of this. He's talking to Bill Simmons. You're going to actually text me on twelve twelve and say, wow, that was awesome. Okay, because we take our launch and we turn them into events.
1: Can't complain. I cannot <laughs> complain at all. Now he's using the digital marketing to basically uh, gather yeah. enormous amounts of hype. And eyes on the product itself so that's what he's doing it's like why on on these launches instead of go to your local store and just buy right it's like no there's this huge event that he's able to get hundreds of millions of views on mm-hmm. and to me that's that would be a very successful launch because if you have that many views on your product it's going to convert and especially if the stock is limited and in this case it's limited right? Because the inventory ends when it's sold out. And I guarantee you, at least from their, um, you know, uh, supply, if they sell direct or however they sell it, they're going to be gone in within the day probably, right? And yeah. that's just the way digital marketing works. And they're implementing now that side of things. So yeah, I, how, could, how could you complain about that?
0: And you're already seeing it, right? Like each... St- new product over the last few months, there was always something great about it, like in terms of what people can expect and people can anticipate, like the MLB debut patch for Topps Chrome update. You know, we never had that before. We're, you know, in previous years, like, ah, you know, maybe we'll go rookie card chasing, but right. I'm sure how many how many products did they sell just because people were chasing the MLB debut patch. Uh, Topps Definitive, the Babe Ruth Shohei, you know, uh, Dual Auto, One of Ones. Amazing. Right. Like it just creates you know just excitement for um, each product that they're launching and like he says it has become an event it's like you know what steve jobs did with iphones and you know just launching his apple products and i think that's what gets not just the hobby excited but you know it could turn heads from people outside the hobby they're like oh what's going on what's this you know what's the hoopla yeah. um in in the sports card space so yeah no excited. i and
1: i and i think i think someone like uh... Michael Rubin can implement more utility within the collectibles because of his multitudes of leverage that he's built on his other platforms. Like this guy's into sports betting. This guy's into Mm -hmm. all these apparel. Like we're talking multi billion dollar, you know, industries and he's able to uh, leverage the two or leverage the three or whatever, however many arms they have of, of, of fanatics, you know. So I think, um, the whole, Um, I guess experience like stuff like the MLB debut patch it's like once they really figure it out I think it's going to create a bigger demand for um, the hobby in general because now I think everybody's starting to see hey ripping definitely is not worth it yes you can get lucky but I think everybody in in this whole hobby understands they're going to lose 95% of the time right of course you're going to hit you know, in a break and stuff, that's no different than gambling at this point, right? So it's, it's a way that I would say that's kind of an issue, then, you know, you're going to have people leaving the hobby just as fast as they came in, because they start losing money, they see that it's a pretty bad habit. It's like, how Mm -hmm. can you leverage it, where the loss isn't as hefty on the end user and, you know, having utility in let's just say, in sports cards now. You know, right. There's other ways to make your money back or at least win something of value where he could leverage maybe potentially his marketing uh, ability uh, in a different part of his organization like apparel or e-commerce into that. Sure. You yep. know what I mean? So.
0: And even, even not within other parts of his organization, but he did talk about, and I didn't bring this up, but he did talk about the um, MVP buyback program. Oh, yeah. You know, that's right. creating... Value for base cards that are normally worth fifty cents. Amazing, yeah. I'm a huge, right. I'm a
1: huge fan of that, yeah.
0: We love the buyback, yeah, for sure. And I think the twelve twelve event he was alluding to, I, I believe that's where Tom Brady signs his Montreal Expos cards, and I believe he only right. signed yes. like eighty one of them. So that's, that's going to cool. be a huge deal, yeah. Yeah. Um, we might have to rip a box and oh, absolutely. Uh, film it and put it up on our YouTube page. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last two. Uh, this one's a short one. He says, I told you a little bit ago, we're going to put a chip in all high-end cards going forward with a unique identifier. So you can't counterfeit a card. So you can't steal cards. You know, there's so many things we can do to improve the hobby. So you gave that as one example.
1: Right. Um, yeah, I mean, anything to do with that, I think it's going to raise eyebrows for sure. Um, <laughs> but I I don't dislike implementing technology to make it safer and better. I'm I, And I know... You know, NFTs are a bad word these days. And uh, <laughs> I but I also think there's massive opportunity in the future with sports cards and NFTs still. We he ha- still have not kind of dipped into kind of like that level mm-hmm. of, t- I call it technology more so than just the trend. It's like you're implementing technology and what it's served for or what it mm-hmm. was created for and implemented in places like sports cards because counterfe- ca- counterfeiting is an issue. Um, you know transferring money even is an issue it's like how do you now implement these things where if you're able to uh you use technology to solve those issues then yeah i'm i'm all for it if it betters the hobby for sure
0: yeah and you know with all things technology things will always improve too right you know yeah. the the first um you know first thing you try with technology might not be the best solution but you can always improve on it so i, I agree Absolutely. with you there All right, last one. He says, uh, breaking is a big part of the collectibles industry. So what we did, people always question the integrity of what we do. So this year, for the first time, we said, hey, let's take our auditor. I think we hired Deloitte and Touche. We're going to pay you to audit all the results the same way the NBA audits their draft lottery. And we did that this year. We now have Deloitte and Touche coming in this year auditing everything to make sure that everything is random as it's
1: advertised. I think, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, okay, like, great, I guess, like, no brainer. I, it, yeah, no brainer. It's like, I think that could even stay in turn, like, it, it doesn't even need to be a headline news or a sell feature, because I think right. there's a lot of, like, people will take that, I don't know how you could take that in, in a negative spin, but there obviously can be. And <laughs> yeah, I just think that. It's too much information, but great. Like you know what I mean. (laughs) You know what to be, to be
0: fair, in the podcast, I I took it out of context, but I thought it was cool to know. You know, as a as a hobbyist, but he says like you know we we don't advertise this. But, you know, we oh, know really? that yeah, <laughs> okay. we, you, you know, but I, th- I guess Bill Simmons asked a question like, you know, there's there's people that say there's shady business going on in the breaking. Right. Industry. Right. Right. Okay. Are, are these hot
1: boxes are. Oh, are these... I see that context now. OK, yes,
0: that's the context. I, I should have. Clarified, OK. OK. But... Yeah. OK. Then... Responding in kind. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> like perfect. Then that, that just proves it. Right. Like that. Yeah. It's just. uh too much information, but if, if he needs <laughs> an answer for that, yeah, absolutely. Then that's the safest yeah. way to shut everybody down. It's like here's proof, this is fact, and if you yeah. have any questions, here it is, and yeah,
0: there you go. All right, exciting stuff. You know, yeah, um, was cool. always good to get always good to get updates like this from uh, Ruben and what Fanatics is doing. And uh, if you haven't heard the podcast. Well, we, we wrapped it up for you in a nutshell. And uh, if you want to get things in more in context, then uh, yeah, just listen to, I think it's uh, three episodes ago from, from today's date, December 7. Okay, let's go on to our next segment. We're calling Hobby Impact. So as of this recording, which is Thursday afternoon, us Toronto Blue Jays fans, well, really all baseball fans in all of Canada are anxiously awaiting any news of Shohei Otani's decision as to where he will sign next most reports you know put put the Dodgers and the Blue Jays as the favorites so by the time the show airs we'll probably know hopefully know where he goes but for this segment let's play out both scenarios and then talk about what kind of impact it'll have on his card values if any okay and we'll also go over other recent free agent news and signings as well okay but first Shohei we talked about this briefly on a previous pod, but now that's come down to two really. Let's say, as an investor, which team do you want him to sign with, or does it matter whether it go, whether he goes to the Dodgers or the Jays?
1: I'm going with um, actually, I'm actually going with the Jays. Well, not what? not only not only because it's like uh, like I want it to happen. <laughs> right. Well, first, let me unwrap this. Okay, this mm-hmm. is why I think Toronto Blue Jays have to sign Shohei. It's not, oh, maybe it's $500 million dollars we try. It's like, no. You do anything you do to sign him because, first of all, let's back up and unwrap this. Rogers Media, Rogers in general, the owners of the Toronto Blue Jays, they're a $25 billion company. So they're in media and, to me, if they're trying to get, you know, uh, They're 25 billion to $50 billion company. Mm -hmm. It's like you have it right in front of you because what Shohei brings, yes, it's a hefty investment in terms of, you know, 500 million isn't a, isn't chump change, but think of the media deals you create right mm-hmm. uh the yeah. the the ability to create in-house media because it's not like they even outsource that media to a japanese media they could control everything in-house and recoup that money i'll even take it a step further so if it's 500 million like i would say budget 550 million and sign hasung kim of <laughs> from the padres like get get him on the jays cuz i'm telling you I, I got nothing. Lo- no, lo- like I, I got nothing but love for baseball players. But you know the the platoon of Biggio and you know Whitmerfield. I mean, this would be a massive, massive upgrade. On top yeah. of that, you're piggybacking on two markets: the Korean market and Japanese market with media. You know, to recoup this investment back, right? So, and then yeah. within the next two years, you'd you'd invest. In the catching position because Shohei is not going to pitch for another year, right? So you're basically, you, you got to get rid of Kirk. You got to sign someone like a, uh, like a William Contreras on the Brewers, right? And someone who could really uh, be a top tier catcher and, and lead kind of like that pitching staff. So for me, that's why Toronto needs to sign him is that marketplace of the media capability and the international and global market as a Jays Toronto Blue Jays brand would be invaluable for the Blue Jays as a global brand, right? So for me, if I'm the owner or CEO or making the decisions, that's what I'm doing. So that's why I say the Jays. The Dodgers, I don't know their capabilities, but it's going to be... I mean, that makes sense. Dodgers make sense, but from a business perspective... I don't know if it makes sense. It's they're gonna, they're just gonna, um, you know, make money however they they do, and I'm sure they can with media and stuff like that. But I'm talking about in house control, and then you know, Toronto being a very diverse city, this is a great marketplace to market. You got Kikuchi there, you got Otani, and then you got Hasan Kim. To me, Toronto would be a destiny of you know seeing baseball at its finest 100 percent
0: yeah i i mean i'm i'm certainly hoping the same as you obviously (laughs) (laughs) but but um you you know like if if i'm just really just thinking about the hobby i would say it really has no effect like shohei is kind of transcended above like home teams Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like you know, I'm not going to stop collecting or wanting to collect Shohei if he goes to the Dodgers, and vice versa, right? For for collectors, obviously. Well, right?
1: I, I do think there might be a lot of Toronto collectors um, because it's like, depending on how big of a player and impactful of a player he becomes, mm-hmm. I think the demand of his cards in general, even in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform, mm-hmm. right? So it's like. Even an auto in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform, I think it's going to be highly sought after, right? right? Whereas in an auto or a, a card in a Dodgers uniform, it n- might not be as special. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I have a little Toronto bias in me. <laughs> but the way I see it is, I I kind of see the demand for these cards uh, in a different uniform, though, like with Ogani. Right.
0: You know what? You're right. You know why? Because you know I could see if he goes to the Dodgers, maybe some collectors buy some. Otani cards autoed in a daughter's uniform but if he comes to the Jays guess what I'm buying five I'm, different cards I'm, okay? me too I'm buying, <laughs> I'm, my auto. I'm buying a jersey with <laughs> Otani on the back I've never done that ever for any Blue Jays player This year <laughs> will be my first where I get a name you know yeah and, and uh, you know yeah I'm with you I will contribute my fair part to <laughs> to Otani apparel let's make it
1: happen Rogers.
0: <laughs> that's you can add that to the pitch <laughs> all right um okay so the next guy obviously plan B was Juan Soto coming to the Jays but obviously we heard just yesterday um he it looks like he signed with the Yankees or got traded to the Yankees along with Trent Grisham what do you think that impact is going to be Juan Soto going to the Yankees
1: I I don't think Juan Soto necessarily I think he has a, a big big role to play there. So a lot of eyes are on him. And I think he's going to do great. Um, I don't doubt his ability and his skill set. What I'm interested in is how it impacts Aaron Judge. Hmm. You know, it really gives him a lot more protection. Uh, And for me, it's that Yankee lineup is looking better and better. They have holes in it still. But you know, that would be a massive, massive upgrade in terms of even protecting Judge, especially that lefty-righty combo in the middle of the order, right? So I would be interested in seeing Judge's production with someone like Soto, who's on-base percentage, always leads the league, you know? Um, So it could affect Judge more so than Soto, because I think you're going to get your 280, your 30 home runs, your 100 RBIs, your 130 walks. You know, hitting 280. So, and then his OPS is you know 900 to 1000. That's what I expect every year of Soto. So, I think you're gonna get that. Um, The off years, you're gonna get something like you know where he outperforms and hits 353 or whatever he did on that one year to uh, win the batting title. But I don't think I've seen Soto be his best. But I don't think I think his card values were so peaked that they're continually correcting themselves and maybe they are at a point where it's too low for basically his talent and his uh stature but i think there might be um bigger opportunity in a player like judge basically like if judge is able to like really benefit from this
0: yeah no i haven't really thought about that but i like that take um it might be a good time to see i don't i haven't checked judge prices lately but if it's dead because it's the off season you yeah. know if he stays healthy yeah injury and, and season, i think it dipped yeah then then it might be a good play i like that I, i'm gonna yeah. check after this show um, <laughs> to see <laughs> if i want to pick up judge again and you know for me with soto i think it's you know like of course being a jays fan in the al east you hate to see it but as a hobby collector i correct me if i'm wrong doesn't playing in yankee stadium for lefties like, it's a huge benefit because of Massive, the short porch defense, right. c- short porch, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm like, 40 plus home runs, that's not
1: out of the Yeah, I mean, if, if he does that, for sure, his his hobby impact is definitely relevant, right? And that's why it's like, um, if he does that, and he can easily do that, then mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it could affect him in a positive way. But if he does his regular 280, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, really good season, like he always does, right. and starts off super slow, remember, So it's like that's going to impact his card prices and then, you know, the motions are dropped and then he finishes off strong, right? That's why if Soto had hot springs in each of his years, his prices would be way higher because his prices tanked every spring and then (laughs) they climb up and then they tank again for the off season. So Mm -hmm. it's the wrong tanking. You want to peak at the spring training. So then you sell at the spring training part, so...
0: But I mean, if you know that's what's going to happen, buy in April and May, and then sell in in uh, October uh, when when it that starts to play again. too. Yeah. All right, a couple more. Um, I don't know anything about this player. You might, you probably know more. Uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Uh, mm-hmm. He's always he's already linked to the Yankees as well. Uh, what do you think about him as a Japanese player coming potentially coming over?
1: You know what? I am I'm, I'm loving it more and more that we're seeing a wow. lot more Japanese players. To be honest, is because now you're truly getting the best baseball league in the world, right? Like it's it's they're yeah. sending their players, and I guarantee you, uh, because I their philosophies have to have changed because in the past, um, you know, there are takes where you know people don't leave Japan or people don't leave Taiwan or Korea. Because Mm -hmm. it's doing more—not not not necessarily harm, but like it's leaving the impact on future generation kids that the best play place to play is not in our home country; it's somewhere else, right? Right. And I think that philosophy has changed a lot for Japan. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, being able to play uh, in different um, you know leagues and parts of the world. So this is no different. I mean, this guy is the real deal. Like he's, he, like I said, we've seen the talent, you know, um, year after year. We've watched the World Baseball Classic. There's other, you know, arms um, that aren't even here yet. And yeah, I think it's going to be massive uh, for whatever team um, signs Yamamoto because he's an elite type number one starter, right? So. That's what you're gonna get. So, and he's fairly young uh, as well. Uh, and there, there's guys like Roki Sasaki too. I don't know his status, but like, there's there's a lot of Japanese arms, um, and it's always exciting to now you know see them compete at the major league level.
0: Yeah, no, I think there's still definitely a play there because I don't think the casual baseball fan uh, knows about these like import players from different right. countries yet. You know, it's not to that level where like oh even like yeah even for myself like i'm a huge baseball fan but uh my my knowledge of Yamamoto is pretty limited until they come over and they start to perform right yeah yeah so so that's nasty
1: nasty super small guy but like nasty so it's that that's that's the issue too a lot of people are gonna be like will his body sustain you know that type of wear and tear
0: Well, if he's nasty, I hope he doesn't sign with the Yankees. We don't need uh, more competition in our division. Yeah, for real. All All right, last one. Comeback Player of the Year this past season, Cody Bellinger. You know, I was high on him, and then he kept on tanking with the Dodgers, and then I was off on him. And, of course, when I'm off on him, he wins Comeback Player of the Year with the Cubs. So I don't know what I'm doing with Cody Bellinger. What are you doing with
1: him? uh i mean mean, bellinger we we talked about bellinger earlier on the podcast and why i was off on him and um i'm glad one he's figured it out he needed something like this where Mm -hmm. this was a make or break of his career this this season so it kind of saved him he's a 27 year old 28 year old in 2024 so for me in terms of a hobby perspective i He's not doing enough in his career to I think justify me investing in him right now. Of mm-hmm. course, he can, you know, have an unbelievable season and potentially win an MVP if he puts up you know 2019 numbers where he won that MVP. Uh, and just to put it into context, he hit 305 with 49 bombs and or sorry, 47 bombs and 115 RBIs as a 22 year old. So fast forward now, he's a 27 year old guy. So, yep. for me, I'm I'm kind of off those players where, and we talked about this previously, is those lull periods of, no matter how good they do, and Mookie Betts was in one of the longest ones. Nolan mm-hmm. Arenado, Manny Machado, you could keep going on. It's like these. There's no love for these veteran players who've been in the league. Everybody is chasing young rookies or a potential Hall of Fame on the tail end of their career, right? So for me. Yep. I'm kind of Bellinger, I like him as a player. I think he's super talented, but in terms of investing in him, I'm personally staying off. I wasn't a big Bellinger investment type of guy, but
0: if yeah. the price
1: is right, I mean there there's plays everywhere, right? So
0: I just checked speaking of prices, I just checked his base first Bowman Chrome Auto, BGS 9.5 is uh, just over 200 bucks. Wow. So it's come down a lot since You know, obviously, his Rookie of the Year season. And, you know, the latest news is that he might go to Seattle. I don't think that'll help with his prices. No. Um, You know, I think the upside is pretty limited. Although, Although, you know, him being comeback of the year, good for him. Yeah. All right. That wraps up our new segment called Hobby Impact. And, you know, any more signings? And, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, next time we record... Shohei's a Blue Jay. We'll just oh, devote a that. whole episode on <laughs> that. Sorry, guys. Sorry for the rest of our listeners. <laughs> or maybe we'll just do a Friday episode on, on Shohei. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll uh, definitely be um, keeping an eye out. All right, let's finish this episode with our regular weekly segment we call Pick One. And this is when we both choose two cards or two players, and then we debate which one we would rather invest in. So, Hyung, do you want to start things off?
1: Sure, we'll stick with the, the hot top topic people mm-hmm. both Shoah and Soto. So okay. let's just say, um, we're investing now, even though there's a lot of attention on them and yeah. probably, you know, prices have gone up on at least Soto. I know it has him being a Yankee. I think yeah. he was kind of low on certain areas, but, um, if you had to invest in two, two cards, I'm going to put two cards, two PSA 10 cards up against each other. And uh, first is the tops 2018 um, Shohei Otani, the pitching, the 700 um, gold out of two, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, for PSA 10 sold for $2,000.
0: Okay.
1: okay. Would you invest in that or would you invest in the 2018 tops update Juan Soto gold out of 2018 PSA 10? It last sold for 1250 after that's coming off a $900 sale. So it increased, you know, I guess it would be like 30 or more, 40%, almost uh, 30 to 40% over the span of a week or a couple of weeks because of this Yankee news. So are you buying Soto for 1250 or are you buying him at Otani at 2k at this point?
0: It's funny because I saw that 1250 sell and I'm like, should I use that as a pick one, but I didn't. So, I was aware of that sale. Um, man, 2k is a lot for a Tops update gold.
1: And I love Shohei. It it sorry, it's not the Tops update. It's oh, sorry. A, the Tops 700 like the the Oh, right, right. The not pitching. the white jersey, yeah, not the red jersey. So, there is a price difference. I I believe I think the the more sought after card would be uh, the Tops the the regular tops, uh, not the tops update. The op- update's the one with the red uh, jersey.
0: Gotcha. Okay, I'm just seeing it now. So the regular one is the white jersey.
1: Okay. Right, white yeah. jersey. Yes, where he's standing up tall.
0: Ooh. Okay. Yeah. That's a nice card too. I like it.
1: Yeah, it's a sapphire image.
0: Hmm. Still 2000. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with one Soto. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, if I'm gonna go in on Shohei, this is me just personally, I, I, I would, I would double my budget and get a better card.
1: Mm. I like that. You know, that.
0: That's what I'm thinking. And you know, Shohei, you're paying a little bit of premium because I've, I have seen recent list, new listings for Soto just because of the signing, and they're all overpriced. I'm not buying any, but, um, but uh, you know, 900 to 1250, um, I'll take the risk and get it at that price and hope. Hope, like we just
1: talked about in our previous segment, Soto has a crazy year with the Yankees playing with Judge. No, mm. oh, I like that. I I think um, I'm on the same line of thinking there where if it were, you know, 1250, 1250, then I think, yeah, uh, yeah I think, easy. yeah, easily yeah, Otani, easy. but yeah. I think the opportunity with Soto, I've seen that card go up to over 3K, I think, 3,500 maybe at its wow. peak. Uh, we're yeah. talking about Soto's gold. And Mm -hmm. we mentioned it before, Soto doesn't have a lot of cards, yeah. right? So his paper parallels are are very sought after because he doesn't have a lot of Chrome update cards in general. That's why the Mm -hmm. refractors go for as much as they do, and the Chrome bases decently sell well overall, more than paper. So um, yeah, I think in this combination, because Shohei has so many different variations and different rookie right. cards. I think the option is uh, Soto at 1250.
0: All right. Soto sweep. Okay. Um All right, my pick one to end off the show. I'm going to go the opposite. This the news has kind of died down because of the whole free agency and and everything else. So, I want to see what you're going to pick with, you know, prices having dropped or dipped a little bit since um since these guys were named rookie of the year. Okay? So, mm-hmm. obviously I'm talking about Corbin Carroll in the national league. And I'm talking about Gunnar Henderson in the American league. I'm using their PSA 10 first Bowman Chrome autos for both their, uh, respective cards, the Gunnar Henderson. And they both sold this past week, a few days ago. So it's pretty recent comps. The Gunnar Henderson, 29 Bowman draft Chrome first prospect autos, PSA 10 sold for just over $517. All right. And the Corbin Carroll 2019 as well, Bowman draft, um, First Bowman Chrome Auto sold for eight fifty seven. Eight fifty seven. Mm. And you know, uh, a week before that, I guess during the announcement, it sold for eleven hundred. So it's come down since.
1: So that a was short Corby peak. Carroll's and then yeah. Gunners. Corbin Carroll.
0: Late. Corbin Carroll's eight fifty seven and Gunner's five seventeen. And uh, if you want to know their stats, I checked them out too. Obviously, Corbin Carroll, we know with the speed, 25 homers, 54 stolen bases. His war was 5.4. And Gunnar Henderson, 28 homers, 10 stolen bases. But obviously, in the heart of the lineup, 100 runs, 82 RBIs. His war
1: was actually 6.2. Wow. Hmm. Let me just look at uh, something. Like I like both of them. Um, As a player, I think I do like Corbin Carroll better. And what mm-hmm. he brings, but like, I think the based on the pricing alone, I think Gunnar Henderson is the buy over Corbin Carroll, uh, just because I mean his his buy in's a little cheaper. So if it was mm-hmm. like apples to apples, then maybe I would pick Corbin Carroll. But even then, it's like two different players. Do I expect Corbin Carroll to be a twenty five to thirty home run guy every year? He could be, but that's to be determined. Can I see Gunnar Henderson as a 30 plus home run guy? Absolutely.
0: Hmm, right?
1: So, right. but then if if Gunnar Henderson can get that average up to a 270 to 290 clip or become relevant in the MVP race cuz he ain't going to win an MVP hitting 250. So it's like right. that's what you kind of hope for in these types of players, um, MVP type cl- caliber that's uh, enormous amounts of hype uh around them. So Jackson Holiday's the next guy. So that would that impact You know prices on Gunner Henderson, or would that complement it? Those are things that, and then you look at Arizona. Is like, is the Arizona lull gonna ever, you know, be um, surpassed, or are we gonna Mm. always see Arizona get no love? So, yeah, at this point, at that price, I think I'm going Gunner.
0: Yeah, okay, Um, man. I kept on going back and forth. I like, I actually like Corbin Carroll better as a player i think he can maintain the 20 to 30 home run pace i I, I kind of um didn't had my concerns uh, with him going into his rookie season but then he proved me wrong um i i also think the era of speed players is going to make a comeback you know like the ricky henderson days um you know like the league really pushing speed as well and, yeah. uh, you know, like 50, 60, 70 stolen bases will be a thing where people will start to keep track of. And and that obviously plays more in favor for a player like Corbin Carroll. And, of course, it's high batting average, 285, um, you know, um, is is helpful. So I like that. But I think for the same reasons we talked about Soto and Shoei, we love both players, but it's a price point that gets me, right? So right. for 500 bucks, Gunnar Henderson, I still lo- really like him as a player as well. I think that's just a better deal and i'm going to take gunner in that case as well all right another great show a lot of baseball talk i know our fans of the podcast love it and um hopefully if you're more into other sports uh uh, you appreciated this episode as well we will we do talk about other things as well you know with the super bowl coming up in a couple months we'll definitely dive into that Uh, my fantasy football team uh on a side note i'm killing it second place 10 and 3 so yeah i'll uh um, definitely bring it up on the podcast um, in, the, in the near future okay, thanks again for all those who tune in, we appreciate you guys we'll have a brand new episode for you on Friday see you then, bye hey, thanks for listening to Cards to the Moon we'd really appreciate you subscribing to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can also connect with each of us on Instagram at 5 Card Guys, or you can follow Hyung at Integrity Sports Cards or John at Trade You at Recess. You can also check us out at LiveCardGuys.com. Thanks again and hope to connect soon.